From under the altar the voices are crying, How long, Lord, till you come judge the earth? But he'll wrap and redeem them in robes of pure white. For the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Oh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Those lyrics from Steve Green's song, The Faithful, echo the words of Tertullian, an early church theologian from Carthage, North Africa. It was certainly true then that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The first drop of martyr's blood fell from the body of Stephen after he made a strong defense of the crucified and risen Christ. Does such courage reside in you? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. The church was born out of the blood of Jesus Christ, and it grew at least in part by the blood of Christian martyrs. Hi, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for being here for today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today, Ron shares the story of Stephen, a deacon in the early church in Jerusalem, a leader full of grace and filled with the Holy Spirit, and a man who gave his life for the cause of Christ. It all comes your way next in Ron's continuing teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Acts chapter 6, here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, The First Martyr. Well, the Fox's Book of Martyrs is a uh, Christian classic. I have a copy of the book in my library, and maybe you do as well. Maybe you uh, have heard of the book. It recounts the lives, the sufferings, and even the uh, triumphant deaths of uh, Christian martyrs down through the ages. And it traces the roots of um, what we would call religious persecution. The author is a guy by the name of John Fox. He was a 16th century reformer, and he himself was forced to flee the uh, persecution of Queen Mary as she set out to silence people during the Protestant Reformation who had a different theological thought or a different theological idea. Fox carefully compiled the stories of um, many martyrs who uh, lost their lives for the sake of Christ during that time in church history, names like John Wycliffe and John Huss, William Tyndale, uh, Martin Luther was on the receiving end of uh, religious and theological persecution, Thomas Cramer, many, many others. Um, a guy named Tertullian who lived many centuries before the Protestant Reformation is the one who is noted for saying the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And it is. Um, blood is all over the Bible from the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament that prefigured the coming of Christ to the blood of Jesus from the cross. And then as the early church is getting started in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, we have uh, the first drop of blood from the first martyr in the church. Some people say Jesus, you know, was the first martyr. I, I don't like to put him in that category. He wasn't a martyr. He, he willingly went to the cross. Let's not forget that. Nobody, nobody nailed him there. Oh, physically, yes, but 
But that was all part of the Father's plan. So let's not put him in the category of a martyr. But Stephen died for his, his faith in Jesus Christ. And um, we'll talk more about that in, in, in just a moment here. Um, in Acts chapters 6 and 7, Stephen uh, takes center stage. And Stephen is one of the seven deacons that are mentioned in verses 1 to 7. But before we get to his story, what happened to Stephen is a sobering reminder of some words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on the night before he was crucified, where he was in the upper room with them, and he was having a very intimate conversation with them. And in John chapter 15 and verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, listen, guys, if the world hates you, just remember that they hated me before they hated you, uh, you know. Pretty, pretty sobering thought there. Uh, he goes on a little bit further in chapter 16 and verse 2, and he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, put yourself in the place of the apostles and the disciples there. You know, you might be thinking to yourself as I would, what have I gotten myself into here? And we went from, you know, this, this enterprise about the Messiah, and we thought he was going to overthrow Rome and all of that, to now you're talking about the world hating us and the world kicking us out of the synagogues and the world killing us because we're one of your followers? Well, keep that in mind as we go to Acts chapters 6 and 7 because um, this, this is the sobering story that reminds us of what Jesus told his disciples back then. Let's pick it up in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, again, Stephen was one of the seven disciples, or rather deacons, that are mentioned in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. He was among the men who were tasked with the responsibility of overseeing the daily distribution of food to the widows and making sure that the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were included in that. You remember that from our last discussion. And Stephen, you know, gave himself fully to that ministry, but his ministry was, was larger than that. In fact, verse 8 tells us that full of grace and power, Stephen was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is the first time in the book of Acts that anybody outside of the 12 apostles were performing signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, later, we'll find that Philip was given that uh, divine enablement as well. And as he went out into uh, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts, uh, Philip performed signs and wonders too. But Stephen's ministry 
was larger than the daily distribution, and God gave him the ability to perform signs and wonders to confirm the message that he carried with him about Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. And as Stephen went around, um, he, he would visit the synagogues. Some scholars believe there were as many as 8,000 synagogues in the area at that time, and one of them was a synagogue called um, the Synagogue of the Freedmen. Um, we believe that these are probably people who were in slavery in Rome at some point and somehow achieved their freedom. They made their way to Jerusalem. They found themselves uh, with a common experience, and they decided to form a faith community and to start a synagogue. And these were kind of the, uh, the libertines, the, the freedmen. And Stephen would show up there. Now, it was common in a synagogue. There was often a, a small uh, community center as well as a, a gathering place uh, for followers and of faith. Uh, the synagogue was kind of in a U-shape, and people would sit along the edges. And during their worship service and their worship time, uh, anybody could really stand up and say a word from God. And so Stephen would arrive at this particular synagogue, and he would stand up and uh, testify to the risen Christ, and um, he, he was so powerful in his grace and delivery that it says here, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They didn't agree with him. In fact, they didn't like what he was saying, but they couldn't win the argument either. And it's not to say that Stephen was argumentative. No, he, he was full of grace, the Scripture says. He was able to make the argument for the risen Christ in a gracious kind of way and in a way that nobody could dispute. So what do you do when you've kind of lost the argument and you don't know what to do? Well, bring on the false witnesses, <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. They disputed with Stephen, and they said, if we can't beat him in the argument, then we're just going to fling a bunch of stuff at him and, uh, and destroy his credibility. And so the Scripture says that they instigated men to bring uh, false witnesses and false accusations against Stephen. Uh, some of those false accusations incu uh, accused him of blasphemy. Uh, other accusations accused him of speaking out against this holy place, which was probably a reference to the temple, which the Jewish people revered um, in a very, very pious kind of way, and they, he spoke out against the law of Moses. I mean, I just read all these, these accusations. And Stephen is on the receiving end of this vicious attack, this vicious false accusation. They're coming after him. And it sounds a lot like how they came after Jesus, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, they brought on the false witnesses. They, they accused him of blasphemy. They even accused Jesus of saying he was going to tear down this temple and rebuild it, three, you know, that kind of thing. They bring a similar accusation against Stephen for speaking such a blasphemous words. It says in verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, here's Stephen on the receiving end of all this, and he, he, he's arguing his point for the risen Christ, and his face is shining like an angel. They had just accused him of speaking against Moses, but wasn't it Moses who, when he came down from Mount Sinai after having been in the presence of God, didn't Moses' face 
shine with the Shekinah glory. He had to veil his face. His face was shining so much. So how ironic that they're, they're accusing Stephen of speaking against the law of Moses, but his face shined just like Moses' did. And um, don't think that they didn't make that connection somehow. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good radio message, The First Martyr. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage, then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. And while you're there, select the Library tab to find a host of great resources at our online store. Again, that web address is somethinggoodradio.org. Standing before the Jerusalem Council, Stephen made no attempt to spare his own life. His speech was gracious, but it was also direct. His story continues now in the rest of today's Something Good radio message, The First Martyr. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Chapter 7, Stephen is now before the council, this austere prideful group of spiritual leaders who are now going to interrogate him. And as was the custom, and as was their law, Stephen had an opportunity to uh, stand up and uh, make his case. And he does that beginning in chapter 7 all the way through, um, well, about uh, verse 53. And I won't take the time to read it all. I, I encourage you to do that because it's a fascinating review of Israel's history, but it's also a, uh, a damning indictment of the national sins of Israel. And you would think that Stephen knows exactly where these men are going. They've brought him before the council. They've accused him just like they accused Jesus. They've brought the false witnesses just like they did to Jesus. He, he knows what their end game is. And you would think that Stephen would take an approach that, you know, kind of says, I'm sorry, and apologizes a little bit just for the sake of self-preservation, but he doesn't do that. And and I'm not suggesting that he was antagonistic. I'm not suggesting that his tone was anything other than gracious because, well, the Scripture says he was full of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes the truth stings. He he uses this opportunity not to preserve his self and his life, but to call the spiritual leaders into account by naming their national sins. Let me give you some highlights here. In verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7, he, he, he lands upon their spiritual pride. Their pride as a result of being connected to this guy named Abraham. And he goes all the way back in history. And he talks about Abraham. Brothers and fathers, uh, verse 2, hear me, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And he tells the story of father Abraham who was settling into his retirement there in the Ur of Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. Uh, Abraham was a pagan worshiper. And God called him out of that pagan environment to follow him. He said, I'm going to make a a nation of you, Abraham. Well, Abraham and Sarah were old, beyond the childbearing years, and took faith to believe that, took faith to leave the comforts of their retirement and to go to a land that, well, the Lord would tell them when they showed up, you know. 
It's kind of like you jumping on the way up, I'll tell you how high kind of thing. And Abraham sets out in faith. And Stephen talks about uh, the covenant that God made with them and the promised child. He mentions the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. But all of this is to point a finger of blame and to say, you are, you are so full of spiritual pride, you're, you're more interested in your physical heritage to Abraham than a personal faith. And then he goes from that spiritual pride to a jealousy and a rejection of the leaders that God had sent them in the Old Testament. He says in verse 9, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh. He tells the story of Joseph. And you remember, Joseph was one of 12 of Jacob's sons, and he was kind of Jacob's favorite, you know. And, and all of Joseph's sons, or brothers rather, grew jealous of Joseph, and they sold him into slavery to that uh, Midianite caravan that took him to Egypt. And Joseph was rejected by his own brothers. He was sold into slavery. Then he was falsely accused of sexual harassment in Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. Ah, but what man meant for evil, God meant for good, right? That's the story of Joseph. And God resurrected him out of the prison and out of the pit. Joseph becomes second in command, prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And God gives Joseph a dream about seven years of famine that are coming, and he wisely stores up seven years' worth of grain so that when the famine comes, the world literally comes to Joseph's feet for food, including his own brothers and his father Jacob. And the whole point is that Joseph was rejected. He was a rejected deliverer. And he goes from Joseph then to Moses, who was also rejected by his own people. Verse 35, this Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And Stephen's just kind of, you know, with grace and with great power in the Holy Spirit, naming the national sins of Israel, your spiritual pride, your jealousy. You rejected every leader God sent to you. You killed the prophets. And oh, by the way, you killed Jesus, the Son of God, is the implication here. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about their disobedience and their spiritual uh, debauchery. He goes from Moses into the story about the golden calf. Remember when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and he gets the Ten Commandments and he's coming down the hill, his face is shining with the glory of God, but he hears something down below, a party going on. And it's all these people who grew weary of waiting for Moses because he's been up there for 40 days. You've got to be kidding me. And they throw together all their gold and they build a golden calf. Moses' brother Aaron participates in it all. He gives uh, credence to it all, and, and Moses walks into this debased pagan worship. He takes the Ten Commandments, the tablets, dashes them against the rock in anger, and Stephen reminds them of this story as uh, an indication of just their pagan disobedience. He goes on in verses 44 through 50 to talk about the temple that started as the tabernacle under Moses in the Old Testament and then later under Solomon became the temple. 
And um, the temple was destroyed, and a second temple was built under Zerubbabel. His whole point in this is to say, you've turned the temple of God into an idol and have missed the whole understanding that now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God doesn't dwell in buildings, but He dwells in our hearts. And then finally, in verses 51 through 53, He, he just uh, pours kerosene on this by uh, telling them, how they continually resist the Holy Spirit. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Whew. That's a, that's a lot to digest. And, and you would hope that as Stephen delivered this defense, that it would bring the religious leaders to a point of repentance, a conviction in their spirit that as they hear this, this very uh, uh, well-articulated review of their spiritual history and their national sins, that they would say, you know, you are absolutely right, and they would fall down on their face before God, but they didn't. You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, The First Martyr, is part of Ron's series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Look for it under the library tab at somethinggoodradio.org. That's A.D. Acts of the Apostles, a teaching series from Dr. Ron Jones that explores the birth and the growth of the early church. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where He shed His blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. All of us here at Something Good Radio hope you can join us on our upcoming trip to the Holy Land. To make a reservation or to get more information on our trip to the Holy Land, look for Something Good Travel when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good exists only through the financial support from friends and listeners like you. That's how Ron stays on the air all year round, sharing the good news of the gospel in a world in which bad news is all too common. When you give a gift this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you the audio download of the teaching series that you're hearing now, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. That's A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Request your download of all 19 messages in this series today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. They laid their, their coats at the feet of a guy named Saul, uh, who later became the Apostle Paul, but before Paul became Paul, he was a first century terrorist. He was the Osama bin Laden of his day. 
He was carrying around orders from the religious leaders and from Rome to persecute and kill Christians. And the Bible says in chapter 8 and verse 1 that Saul approved of Stephen's execution. A little bit later when Paul comes to faith in Christ, rather Saul comes to faith in Christ on the road to Damascus, and and we, we read through the rest of the book of Acts the great travel journeys and missionary journeys of the apostle Paul, he never forgot this this incident. He never forgot the hardness of his own human heart that that would approve the execution of a man like Stephen. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The First Martyr. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.